0: I'm going to ask you a sensitive question. You're the radio woman? The
1: existence of fairies has never been a question. The answer is no. They're real.
0: You didn't let me ask the question. Very real. So, what am I looking for?
1: There's something going on up there at night. Those woods. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. What fairies really look like, really look like.
0: What I'd like to know is, why did you bring her to me, me? Would they look more like us? Spiteful, malignant, deadly, deadly, deadly. The fairies of British folklore have been classified in a wide variety of ways throughout the ages. Two of the most prominent and popular categories derived mainly from Scottish folklore, the division into the Seelie Court and the Unseelie Court. These categories, the Seelie or the Unseelie Court, represent the light and dark side of the Fae folk. If a fairy is helpful to or seeking help from humankind, they are said to be from the Sealy Court. The creatures of the Sealy Court have been known to return human kindness with special gifts and favours, bestowing good luck and occasionally even magical abilities on humankind. The creatures of the unsealy court are different, much different. They are the fey of the dark. Theirs is the essence of elemental evil. No offense is necessary to draw the ire and wrath of the Unseelie. I found a bit of verse concerning the Unseelie. It appears to be part of a larger work by an anonymous author. Humankind beware the Unseelie, for they wait behind the wall of night, behind the veil of shadow beneath the heat of the world. They wait to rend and rip and burn, to twist and reap and spurn, to take back the world of the creator and there to wait for his return.
1: Fairy is a Parcast production available exclusively on Spotify.
0: From the Public Radio Alliance in Minnow Beats, Wales. you're listening to Ferry. I'm Ryan Bailey. Stay with us. When we left you last episode, Elliot Waters had just informed me that he believed the small ones kidnapped his wife and daughter in England. There's obviously a lot to unpack here, so let's get started. First, what are the small ones? Well, apparently, they're fey creatures who tend to the dark and destructive. Waters told me that, if the ones who feed were ancient, dormant, cosmic gods — and he emphasized that's exactly what they were — then the small ones functioned as their lieutenants or emissaries or assassins. Let's move away from the small ones and the ones who feed for a moment, across the Atlantic Ocean to Europe, England to be more specific. What was Elliot Waters doing there at the time of his family's incident? He was buying a house. His wife, Amanda, and their daughter, Elena, visited England every year or two. Amanda's family was English. She went to school in London, but grew up in Bath. Elliot rented a house that he was planning on buying to surprise his wife. He wanted to make sure that she loved it before he committed his savings. He'd been planning on quitting his job with the department to spend more time with his wife and daughter.
1: I was 20 years old when I joined the department. I was something of a prodigy out of high school three years before my friends. I got married at 21 and we had Eleanor the next year. For the first three years of my daughter's life, I was barely home. I was determined to make up for it, in part to reward my wife for putting up with my all consuming employment situation. But it was also everything I'd ever wanted for my life. I loved my job and believed what we were doing was important. But I loved my time with Amanda and Helena so much more. I was 25 when it happened. It was the year before the fate disappeared from our world. There was a period of increased activity right before they disappeared.
0: And it was during this period of increased fairy activity that something happened to your wife and daughter?
1: Yes, they were taken.
0: By the small ones? Yes. Can you tell me what happened and what you mean by The Small Ones?
1: The Small Ones came to our world from the Fade.
0: So, they're small?
1: No. That name is misleading. Oh. The Small Ones are dangerous, and they're not small. If anything, they're a bit taller than the average human.
0: So what's with that name, The Small Ones?
1: Something was lost in translation from the Gaelic, A word was mistranslated and replaced by the word small.
0: You'll have to forgive me, but the small ones don't sound all that frightening.
1: Well, those who worked for the department would disagree. Names can often take on the personality and power of the things that they represent. When you hear the small ones, you're picturing something far different than those of us who have experienced dealing with them.
0: So... What are they like?
1: They're like... if you imagine the Ringwraiths in The Lord of the Rings. That feeling when Frodo and his other halfling friends are hiding.
0: Right. That's a scary scene.
1: The Small Ones are evil. They have no capacity for sympathy or empathy. They exist only to do harm. They feed on fear, pain, and hopelessness.
0: Jesus. Yeah. So, Elliot Waters believes that some creatures from the Fade, called the Small Ones, were responsible for kidnapping his wife and daughter. We've learned a bit about the Small Ones, but nothing about how they might be connected to what happened to Waters' family. I understand that it's a difficult subject, but could you please describe what happened to your wife and child in Bath?
1: They were driving the A367 just outside of Bath. A young couple passed a car running on the side of the road with its doors wide open, and they reported this strange scene to the police.
0: This was your wife's car? Yes. What
1: happened? My wife and daughter were taken. The road was clear, the car was fine, full of petrol. They were just missing.
0: And nobody saw anything? No. But you believe they were taken? I know it. What did the police say?
1: They told me they believed, based on the evidence, that my wife must have taken my daughter somewhere for some reason.
0: You don't believe that's what happened?
1: I know that wasn't what happened.
0: What makes you so sure?
1: I was on the phone with my wife when it happened.
0: She was on the phone with you, in the car? Yes. So, what happened? She saw them. The small ones? Yes.
1: Her last words to me were, Elliot, I love you. They found us.
0: So my understanding of what the police believe happened is that you taken your wife and daughter by force back to America because your wife wanted to move to England.
1: That's not true. How could I take my family by force? On a commercial airline, it just doesn't make sense.
0: But Seattle police did find your family tied up and gagged in your house the next day. Yes. Is it true that your wife retained a divorce lawyer the next morning? Elliot? It's true. Why?
1: She was upset.
0: About something that happened when you got back to America?
1: No. About what had happened to her and Elena, in the fade. What happened? They were torn apart, terrified. They're being stretched and ripped away from their center. It's something I hope you never experience.
0: By the small ones?
1: Yes, but the small ones weren't finished. They feed on giving hope and taking it away.
0: What do you mean?
1: I mean they followed us home.
0: That was all Elliot Waters had to say about the kidnapping of his wife and daughter. The Waters family told the police a story they had to accept, and no official charges were ever filed. Two days after they'd somehow ended up back in the United States at their home in Seattle, Elliot Waters' wife and daughter died in a fire in their house, with Waters outside, asleep in his car. The worst thing that ever happened to this man began in Bath, England. Now, the man recalling Agent Cook, a man from the department, the organization Waters is determined and dedicated to getting reopened, has given him hope. Return to England and bring back proof of something, something called the Beast of Bath. Elliot Waters was going to England. He asked me if I wanted to join him. But before we get to Bath, we need to go back to something that happened while I was taking a bath. You'll remember, I told you about a dream I had while in the bath. I dreamt that I'd heard the photocopier start up and when I went in to check the tonerless old machine, had spit out an image. Now, I'd left out a few details of this image when I first described it to you way back in episode 103. I told you that it was a photo, or rather photocopy of me from behind, sitting at my desk in front of my laptop in my apartment. I left out the fact that I was wearing an NPR t-shirt and gray stretchy sweatpants and that a candle had been burning on the left side of my desk. Something else I left out was the fact that I was wearing a ponytail. I almost never wear a ponytail, but I was desperate for a haircut and my hair was driving me crazy. Now, I'm going to take you back to my apartment the night before I was scheduled to fly to England with Elliot Waters. I just returned from the studio with takeout After I ate, I sat down to check my work email. That's when I realized that... I was wearing a ponytail, my NPR shirt, grey stretchy sweatpants that I'd just purchased the day before, and there was a candle burning on the left-hand side of my desk. It was the scene from that photocopy. It was the scene from my dream. I don't know how long it took me to stand up, but I did eventually make it to my feet. I was shaking. I called my friend, Carly, and asked her to remain on the line as I checked out my apartment. I stepped into the hall expecting to see nothing, just my hallway and the Korean movie poster framed at the end of it. But there was something there. It was the dark figure, and I could smell it. A fishy, wet, oily scent. A scent that filled my nostrils and mind as I threw up and passed out almost simultaneously. Carly told me that she didn't hear anything except crazy static coming from my end of the line. She tried to call back, and when she couldn't get through, she came over. She has a key. She found me sitting on the sofa in my living room, staring at my television, which wasn't turned on. She went on to explain that I seemed out of it for the first couple of seconds, but that I came around really quickly after that. And that's what I remember stepping into the hall smelling a strange fish oily smell passing out and waking up on my sofa talking to my friend unable to convince me to go to the hospital or stop drinking the bottle of red wine i'd opened carly stayed the night the next day i went to the walk-in medical clinic they told me i was fine to fly but did schedule a few tests for when i returned home from england Where is this place?
1: It's just around this hedgerow. Wow. Yeah.
0: It's pretty great. It was pretty great. Waters had booked us into a pair of old stone cottages. The view from the top of the hill looked exactly how I'd always imagined the Shire from the Lord of the Rings. It was breathtaking. Are you ready? Um, yeah. I've been waiting for you.
1: Sorry, I was on the phone getting a pass. A pass? A small part of the park is National Trust protected.
0: The public doesn't have access?
1: Not where we're going.
0: We left the cottages and drove about a mile or so out of town. We drove through the quiet countryside, past low stone fences and sheep. Lots and lots of sheep. Eventually, we turned onto a small road and pulled into the parking lot of an old gray stone building. It was a pub. Waters told me we were there to meet our driver and to get blindfolded. That last part came as a bit of a surprise. Our driver was a Scottish woman named Leslie. She was accompanied by a young man. They looked extremely similar. In fact, he may have been her twin. I didn't get his name and he never spoke. We were not only blindfolded, but they also made us wear headphones. They took our phones as well, but promised they'd be returned as soon as we were finished. They started playing music in our headphones. It was loud instrumental jazz, innocuous, a bit more bossa nova than I normally enjoy. It was really loud, but it wasn't horrible. About a minute or so after the blindfold was on and the music was playing, the van started moving and we were off after something called the Beast of Bath. Two instrumental jazz numbers later, the van stopped and everybody got out. Well, everybody but me. I called out for waters, but after a few attempts with no response, I took off my blindfold to discover that I was completely alone. I was sitting in the van, which was still running. Everyone was gone, and there was absolutely no sign of Elliot Waters. I didn't have my phone, but I did have my compact voice recorder. I turned it on and started recording. I'm completely alone. No sign of Waters or any of the people he hired to take us wherever we were headed. The van is parked in the middle of a huge clearing in the middle of the woods. The sun is just about to set. It's a bit chilly, but not freezing cold, yet. I have no idea where I am. I feel like I should probably head for higher ground, but the problem with that plan, the trees. All I can see are trees everywhere. I'm in the middle of a dense wooded area. I'm going to turn off the engine and listen for water or a road or something. I can hear something. Very distant voices. Singing, maybe. I'm going to follow that sound. I'm going into the woods. I've been walking for almost an hour. I can't tell how long by the time on my recorder because I'm turning it off and on to preserve battery life. It's dark. The sun is set, but the moon provides enough light to walk slowly but safely. I'm still following the voices or the singing sounds. Sometimes they appear to be getting louder or quieter, and I'm using that to guide my way. But I don't know. I haven't eaten for hours. I'm starting to worry that I might be imagining everything. I rewound the voice recorder to see if I could hear the voices, but there was nothing immediately obvious there. I'm not sure the recorder is sensitive enough to pick them up anyway, but I wanted to check. I followed the voices for another 10 minutes or so, and I ended up outside a small clearing. There's something there. A very large stone of some kind. It looks really out of place in the middle of this clearing, in these woods. It looks, it feels older than the woods somehow. I don't know, ancient. The area is vibrating, alive with something. It took me a second to realize it, but the voices or singing sounds appear to be coming from the giant rock. Just as I was about to step forward into the clearing, I was grabbed from behind, and a hand was placed across my mouth. I'm sorry, we have to be quiet. Where the hell have you been?
1: They used chloroform or something. I woke up in the middle of the forest. How did you find it? What? The singing stone.
0: I just followed the voices, the singing. You can hear them? Yeah. That sound? That's the singing stone? Yes. How long have you been here?
1: I'm not sure. Uh, Time's a bit off here. Maybe 10 or 15 minutes.
0: Did you find it?
1: We need to leave. It's not safe.
0: Fine with me. About a dozen or so large lumbering animals slowly walked out of the trees and are now moving toward the rock. What are they?
1: I'm not sure, but we have to leave now.
0: Elliot? Elliot. Yes. There's something right behind you.
1: Yeah. There's one right behind you too. We're surrounded.
0: You've been listening to Fairy. I'm Ryan Bailey.
1: Fairy is a Parcast production, available exclusively on Spotify.
0: Fairy is produced by Terry Miles, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Silver and me, Ryan Bailey. Associate producers: Carleen Bennett and David James. Executive producers: Terry Miles and Hollis Adams Lane. If you enjoy Fairy, you'll love our other shows, Tannis and Rabbits, at tannispodcast.com and rabbitspodcast.com. for legal and safety reasons, we've elected to change some names and leave others out entirely. We don't do this very often, but we're unwilling to compromise people's safety for any reason. Thanks again for listening to Ferry.